great. But here's what he did. Rhyme it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Oh, please just rhyme it. And he really gets into it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Yes, of course. We will you don't even have to think about it. So let's rhyme it today. Rhyme it. Yes. We are going to rhyme it. Just that's where he just Ooh, ran down. Everybody, amazing! I'm not gonna remember any of it. That's good. Way to go! All over the Rams today and Rammy. I mean, now he's like on his feet. How are you guys? Who's house? Wow! Rammy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Rams Brothers. I'm your host, Dean, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother and the other fantastic hosts of this show, Nick. And Nick, we said it was a must-win. The Rams got the job done at home. But first and most importantly, how are you, my good brother? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. I had a great time this weekend. Watched the game at the Bruce Hall with some friends. Got some free rally fries. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, finally, we're 500. It know? was looking a little scary there in the first half. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, the team got it together. McVay talked about some colorful language that the team expressed and probably some coaches there at halftime. But, Nick, I know that you were at the Bruce Hall this weekend. I know that there's some more big news coming from the Bruce Hall, so why don't we kick it off with that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's my favorite place to watch all the games, Bruce Hall. It's a brewery and food hall with wall-to-wall large-screen TVs, the best staff. They brew and serve Colin Cowherd's The Herd Beer Line, uh, Hazy IPA, and Pilsner. I had the Pilsner myself. It's fantastic. Uh, it's a perfect game day brew, plus their food is absolutely incredible. My girlfriend got the spicy fried chicken sandwich. And then my one friend, Gary, actually got the Poke Bowl, much to my surprise. The Bruce Hall has two locations. The Poke Bowl I had myself was pretty phenomenal. <laughs> one in Torrance and one on the Hermosa Beach Pier. Couldn't recommend this spot enough. And you just got to say, Rams Brothers sent me. You get free rally fries with your purchase. And I was there with, like, a bunch of people. And it wasn't one free rally fry per table. You know, like, they gave each of us <laughs> – of fries that was really awesome oh, cool. um so shout out to them if you want to learn more check out their instagram at the bruce hall or visit them online at www.thebrucehall.com and go check them out in hermosa and torrance and you get free fries so shout out to them thank you guys again and cheers sweet we absolutely love that make sure you guys go to bruce hall get some free fries you deserve it for being a rams fan and having to deal with this friggin' roller coaster and uh, the tale of two halves that this team seems to bring to the table every single week. Yeah. So for th- this week, go ahead, Nick. You want to say something before we? I mean, just talk? like they cannot put together four good quarters of football, no matter what. And you, what's weird is it's it's not always. It's like okay, the first couple quarters are good. Like yeah. like the first two are good, and then the second half's bad. Like this time, it was like reversed. It was like a horrible first half. I'm like they tricked us. The Seattle game week one was was not real. It didn't even happen. They're just not a good team. I don't know why I'm getting my hopes up. And they come out in the second half and they look like like one of the best offenses in the NFC. And I'm like, what is going on? Like how does how do you go from this to that so quickly? We're we're gonna get into it all. I yeah, because some of the talking points for this episode are the scripted series to start off the game because that's where a lot of the confusion stemmed from. The tale of two halves, which we're calling the Sean McVay saga. Cooper Cup being back at full speed, Kyron Williams' second half, and the injuries to both Kyron and Ronnie Rivers that they're both dealing with after the game. They chatted about it. We'll talk about that. The offensive line and Tyler Higby being really vocal about the Rams' identity and ability to demonstrate dominance up front, which I think is obviously necessary in games like this, especially against a divisional team. 
And then the defense, Aaron Donald's continued dominance over Arizona, Christian Roseboom's first interception, Byron Young's sack fumble that was recovered by Quinton Lake in winning the turnover battle, and where the Rams currently stand in terms of the NFC. So right now it's seventh seed, but um, some really good information and context coming in this episode about the Rams' continued journey throughout this season. But first and most importantly, make sure that you guys... Like and subscribe. Support's been a little down the last couple of weeks, Rams fans. I'm calling you out. We need you. We need you to continue watching the episodes, supporting this team. They're not tanking. They're a good football team, and I think they showed you in the second half that they have the ability to be able to crack a playoff spot later on in the season when January comes around the corner. So I'm excited. I mean, if the second half didn't exist, I'd be extraordinarily discouraged because the first half of this game was nauseating. But Nick, let's start off with talking about the first series because the Rams' scripted series have been really solid throughout this season so far. They, I mean, I, I've been impressed. I think so that, far. So so far. I mean, when it comes Until to when it comes to their their beginning series, they've scored twenty seven points on opening series thus far. It's the second most in the NFL. And my thought was when I was watching that scripted series was was one run and nine passes actually the the thought process there, or was Stafford canning out of a lot of McVay's run calls because of the looks he liked pre-snap? And in that case, like, does Stafford have the autonomy in those situations? Like, whose fault is it for falling so one-dimensional into this pass-only unit so earlier on in this game? And it seems like in, in post-game comments that there was agreement that Arizona was essentially daring the Rams to throw the football earlier on in this game. So, my thought process was, is it McVay? Is it Stafford? Is it just the Cardinals baiting them to do what the Rams will continuously do if a team will allow them? I mean, what did you think it was? Uh, I, I thought it was Stafford seeing what he liked and being like, oh, this is exactly the kind of, you know, uh, defensive scheme where I can kind of like tear it up. And then, you know, they were showing one thing pre-snap and then realizing that it you know, it changed. There was a lot of movement on defense. Uh, it like from just like from the get go, they would be like moving around. So you didn't really know where they were, but I, Stafford saw something. I also think that that pass heavy allowed them to run the ball so efficiently in the second half. So it was McVay realizing that, okay, if we run the ball here, maybe they were just expecting us to pass, pass, pass. Cause that's what we've been doing. And then that, yeah. as soon as they started doing that and running the ball efficiently, Kyron Williams is finding like big holes. Um, and then the pass game opens up. It's, it doesn't seem as simple as that, especially when it doesn't work at all in the first half. And then in the second half, the passes like seem to be like perfect. Um, but it's also a time thing. And it felt like Stafford had plenty of time to make these throws. It just, you know, every now and then it would, it, it wasn't enough and you'd get hit and you're like, Oh wow. It's, he's not making the right decision at all. There are a couple elements to that, right? Like it's some of the decision-making, some of the pre-snap stuff, but I think that they were forced out of some of these these audible. They were forced to audible out of some of these plays because of the pre-snap read one. But then like if you're Jonathan Gannon and you're not showing everything on tape, which McVay came out and said, like these are some things that are going to confuse you. These are the things that are going to allow you to fall back into some of the familiar tendencies that the Rams have carved out, right? So like the scripted series right out of the gate was supposed to be properly balanced. Like it was supposed to feature five to six run plays and was hopefully going to be capped off by a, you know, a rushing touchdown. And like that to me was just not being prepared 
for some of the stuff that the Cardinals were throwing at them. It's hitting the panic button early. It's forcing McVay to be stuck in his own head and admittedly overthink the situation. And it carried on for the entire half. So I think a lot of the, the stress and aggravation the Rams fans were feeling because it was happening not only on the offensive side of the ball, but on a third and 15, Josh Dobbs is scrambling for 22 yards on a missed tackle by Kobe Turner in the open field. So you're, you're playing uncomplimentary football on both sides. It's, is it, what is, is it Stafford identifying at the line of scrimmage? Is it Sean McVay getting a little bit too much in his head? I think for the most part, what, what you identify based on the post game comments is it's Sean McVay being stuck in his own head. And we just need to be able to commit to things without being scared of the, the look pre-snap. I was worried that we weren't even going to see Sean McVay. I mean, I, I, I'm sure we're going to hear any day now about how he just, you know, him and his wife are, have their first child in this world. So right. there was reports that he wasn't even going to be on the, on the field, and then he was. So I feel like if you take him off the field that game, I mean, I don't know if we haven't seen Mike before, like call plays. I, I, it feels like it could have been a loss because, like, from what we saw in the first half, I don't know if they would have been able to change things up and be as creative as they were in the second half if they didn't yeah. have Sean there. So I really, I mean, yeah, this is a perfect picture. P- perfect I mean, picture. Here's the place on Yeah, this is a tell of the first half. I mean, it's one rush play for five yards to nine pass plays for 63 yards. And then I think this other graphic really kind of shows the, the full picture of the Rams this season. It's two wins to three losses. In those two wins, they run the ball 38 times per game. They rush for an average of 100, 128 yards per game. In the three losses, they rush 16 times and only are able to garner 71 yards per game. So, I mean, it seems like really simple math. It seems like let's not overthink it. Let's, let's, let's listen to the guys up front. If we have a game plan that we instill early on that we want to be balanced, maybe even lean a little bit more towards the run scheme and this dual run scheme we've in, implemented and have specifically brought in personnel to be able to execute that scheme, which are players like Dotson and Steve Avila and Coleman Shelton, the guys interior that are able to create space and separation for Kyron to be able to wiggle through some of those holes. To me, and Tyler Higby does a great job in this too, like despite the fact that he had a big drop in this game, they've specifically brought in personnel and they specifically re-signed Tyler Higby, not because of his hands in the red zone, but because of how well he plays as an inline blocker in this new dual run scheme. So to me, it's like, it's an easy implementation. You just have to be able to commit to it and let the guys up front win. I think what was really interesting was like, this is their red zone offense, 44 straight drives with points, the longest active streak in the NFL. But in that first series it wasn't the first scripted series but in that first half um, I was really frustrated over the fact that they were in a situation where they were on their own 41 yard line and I think they went six straight pass plays three of which were in the red zone one was a Puka Nakua drop and then Stafford went two incompletions and they had to settle for a field goal and then two possessions later Nick they essentially did the same thing they ran for negative one yard for Kyron Williams they got held on a penalty, brought him back 10 yards. They lost 11 yards on the drive. But this is all happening in the first half. Like a lot of mistakes compiling one to the next from series to series. And it, it really took a halftime realignment and vocalized tight ends and offense alignment to be able to change what was originally supposed to be. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, that streak <laughs> of 44, was it 44 straight red zone appearances with points? Yeah, that's I mean, that's incredible, um, regardless of if they're going to cap it off with a touchdown or not, just to get to that point. And I mean, I guess it I guess it's kind of easy if 
if you just make those field goals. Um, but still, with Brett Maher, I'm never, I'm never positive, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's really tough when you don't have somebody that is a bell cow that you can trust to get at least like three yards per carry. And I don't think they trust either Ronnie or Kyron, which um, I don't get. I don't get. I, yeah. I mean, like Kyron has shown that he, he can, if like, if you give him the time, but in the beginning it wasn't working and they immediately abandoned it. And then we come back and it seems like every loss we're talking about the exact same thing where it's like enough with these passes. And I, I, I do think it's, it's overconfidence in two men who deserve to be confident, Stafford and McVay. Both and of I was, them. I was going to say Cooper Cup also. Yeah, Cooper Cup too. But both of them believe that, like, okay, let's just get like, let's just get ten on a chunk. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. it's just so much easier to do that when you have a balanced breakfast. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, this is so. This is the first half. So twenty-two plays, just three runs, nineteen pass plays, two field goals, three punts, six total points. And two, three and outs. And you fast forward to the second half. So now the episode gets fun. 37 plays, 25 run plays, 12 pass plays, two touchdowns, two field goals, 20 total points, 20 unanswered points um, after it was nine to six. And, you know, the team falls behind. And we know their rushing percentages when the team's behind six points, team's behind three points, when the team's behind a touchdown. Like, what? it drops. It's the lowest. It's fourth lowest in the NFL right now when they're behind three points. It continuously drops as the the deficits increase. So to me, it was really important to be able to reinstill some of those things in the second half. And they did a great job. Like if McVay got chewed out at halftime by his offensive lineman, that's because he strayed so damn far away from what the game plan was supposed to be. Like Rob Havenstein was very clear that what happened at halftime wasn't an adjustment. He said that they had a plan to make a statement and execute in the run game. So colorfully, they provided a reminder to Sean. And then Havenstein, after the game, credited Sean McVay for going out and doing what he said he was going to originally do. So all was well in Rams' world after all of that happened, but it took that conversation in halftime to adjust the mindset. Also, I mean, I don't know if you saw it, but during the game there was a clip where Kyron Williams is, like, walking down the sideline, like, looking at McVay, um, like, aggressively. Like, he, like It reminded me of Cam Akers. Yeah, like, 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 what are we doing? Like, especially if he's told all week, like, Kyron, this is going to be it. Like, we're going to need you to step up. Like, and then to see the product. And then also, shout out to the defense for holding them to nine points. And, like, I know it wasn't pretty in the first half, but the, it should have been 6-6 six, six going into halftime. But there was, you know, guy missed the um, missed the punt, and then, and then they got a free yeah. red zone Austin appearance. Trammell. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. So I thought the defense, all things considered, like for a Cardinals team that's kind of been scrappy and putting up a lot of points, they did a good job. Especially in the second half when they're generating turnovers. Like, I mean, I really liked what I saw from them all game, even though our dad was saying this defense is horrible. The defense in the first half was tough because they were, it was the same thing week over week, right? It was. It's like they're. Backup tight end exploiting the zone. It was a third and 15. Josh Dobbs takes off and scramble. You miss an open tackle in the open field. Um, and you're arm tackling. You're not wrapping up. Like There's just very little fundamental things that you know created that reaction from dad. 
Um, but to me, like I was really encouraged, of course, by Aaron Donald. We talked about how great Aaron Donald was going to be in this game. He always dominates Arizona, especially that matchup against Wilkerson, the left guard, whom of which he absolutely dominated throughout the entire game. Um, he had three tackles for a loss. Holistically, though, Ernest Jones, who was battling a knee injury, came out 10 total tackles, seven solo. Byron Young had a PFF grade of over 85, which was number one in the NFL amongst all rookies. Jordan Fuller had a good game. Aaron Donald, the three tackles for loss. They didn't give him a sack because of that, that one play call where he swung Josh Jobs to the ground was considered an RPO. So I guess they considered it a run play and the quarterback had kept it himself. So they called it a tackle for loss. Kobe Turner, I thought was impressive in terms of generating pressure in Jonah Williams. Um, so this defense, I, I'm they did exactly what I wanted them to do because it was copy-paste from what they did against Seattle in the first half to what they did in Seattle against the second half. Like that to me was kind of the methodology that you wanted to reinstall in this game. It's a divisional game. Let's run the ball 35 times. And defensively, let's try to win at the line of scrimmage and prevent them from scoring any points. True bend-on-break, intricate, exotic blitz packages, spring Aaron Donald free, and let's try to get Josh Dobbs off his spot. Two and one in the division right now. And yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the sideline, and I know everybody was laughing at the Cardinals and uh, Jonathan Gannon to start the year. But, like, I think the Cardinals really trust him. The players really like playing for him. And they're a smart defense. You know what I mean? Like, they they know what they're doing. They are well coached. And I'm like, they're, they're cutting him. And I'm like, this guy is smart. Like, he, like, sure, he's, like, probably a little bit of, like, goofball in, like, you know, the, the, the two-second social media clips. But, you know, he credit to him. He commands a team of, of essentially, like, it's like, it's like a scrap heap. It's like everybody yes. assumed that they were going to be horrible, and they're in most all of these games without like two record too. Without two starting safeties, Jonathan Gannon was disguising coverage enough to confuse Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford to the point where they just had to throw the ball consistently. To me, yeah. that's enough to call Jonathan Gannon a good coach because he was smart enough to not reveal over the first five six weeks of the season that they were going to implement this specific coverage against the Rams. To me, like that's that's great game planning. That's great preparation, and it almost worked. Like it worked for an entire half until the Rams just decided, okay, we want to implement the run, and then we're also going to highly target Cooper Cup and let him go to work whenever he can. So, like th this is Cooper Cup's stat line. So Cooper Cup, since he returned, fifteen catches, two hundred and fifty-five yards, and a touchdown. Do you feel like he's fully back? I think my one concern with that um, that red zone possession that they had, where they threw the ball six straight times. Cooper Cup was banged up on one of those throws, and then he had to get his ankle retaped up. But then, right before the half, for the love of the game, I didn't even see that. Oh yeah, I mean, I <laughs> finally, like finally, because it felt like um, that was happening to us every game, even though it was only the San Francisco and the Eagles game, where it was like, oh, they scored, and we have like little time, and I'm like, all right, they're going to call like two run plays, and then they're going to take a knee and go in the locker room, but. Yeah, to hit cut deep like that is was absolutely my favorite. I also thought they had an opportunity to get another playoff. Yeah. Um, but then Stafford spiked it, and then McVay kind of looked at him like, yeah, like I, I kind of see why you did that. But I felt like McVay kind of wanted an end zone shot right there if they would have got it off fast enough. But it, at the same does. time, you, you cap it off with points, and you go, you know, you go in only down three, and then you get the ball and you score. So. 
it felt very necessary to get some formal points on the board, right? I feel like that was, it was a lucky possession that they even had a chance to get. They hadn't been running anything consistently. They had to rely on a pass play. And, yeah. you know, it's something that it didn't work the whole first half. So why would it work in that situation? Because Cooper Cup, that's why. And it like, you know, it wasn't like when it was against us, it was like flag after flag and nobody was actually making the catches. So it just, it just hits a little bit harder when it's like actually like a caught ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. it's just good to see. So do you think this is, do you think this is, yeah, do nine and dime. Do you think this is the reality with nine and 17? Speaking of nine and dime, because I'm getting a little bit concerned about Puka Nakua over the next couple of weeks, only from a fantasy perspective. He, he dropped the red zone target. Like that would have been one that, you know, he would have had five catches and a touchdown for 50 yards. Like that's a pretty easy game this week in fantasy. Yeah, probably pretty, probably pretty decent stat line though. Um, when you look at everything, his hands have been a little bit suspect, but I, he made a couple of catches down the stretch that I was impressed with. Like, yeah, he made one that was like in front of him or like behind backwards. Him. Yeah, yeah, he caught that backwards. I don't know. Yeah, I, he stabbed that. Like, yeah, I still think that he is amazing and I think that there will be games where especially down the line where teams will scheme up better like maybe even next week against Cooper Cup where Puka's mm-hmm. going to have to step up um, Mike Tomlin sidebar I think is the only active head coach to have a winning record against Sean McVay I mean wow. like huh. not winning record undefeated against Sean McVay yeah, I, I think he's the only one I was going to say I think Kyle Shanahan might Shanahan, have yeah, obviously against, against Sean McVay so you're saying that even after this meme was created, you still believe that Puka Nakua is going to be impactful against the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend? Not enough to trade Derrick Henry for Puka Nakua in our fantasy league, me and you, but enough <laughs> to bet Puka Nakua anytime touchdown next week. <laughs> I think he's going to be – yeah, you have to look at some of the matchups. The Steelers are getting uh, some players back off of injury, specifically from the offensive perspective. Right? It's going to be so getting, hard for Sean to – commit to the run with the Steelers run defense. It's going to be really tough, but they have to in order to win that game. It doesn't seem like though, even if you're scared by the look, which they were for four quarters of yesterday's game that you can't run the ball. And even if you get a negative gain, they had huge chunk plays in this game, more so from the run than the pass. I think they had gains of 10, 17, 30. Like McVay was very, very happy with Kyron Williams as was I, because this is just a ridiculous stat line in the first half. Two carries for four yards in the second half, 18 carries, 154 yards in the touchdown. I, it's, it, to me, it's not that difficult, right? I think uh, Sean McVay coming out after the game and saying, we make things harder on ourselves than we should with a smirk on his face. It's just like for Rams fans, their minds explode when they have to hear him say that kind of stuff because it is as simple as just committing themselves to the run. And being able to put 14 points on the board. If that game is 14 to six at halftime, you can very, very comfortably run the ball with no, nobody disagreeing with you. You play with the lead. You could throw the ball a couple of times and just comfortably run out time of possession and run more plays than the other team and just, and win the game flat out the way that the Niners and the Eagles do, maybe not this last week, but when they have a lead, they're two of the best teams at consistently sticking to the run and just killing the other team in time of possession. I think the reason why I was so discouraged at halftime um, was because they went into last week thinking that they should beat the Eagles. Like somebody has to beat the Eagles. It turned out being that it was the Jets. Um, 
but like they were kind of like they looked a little fraudulent even though they were undefeated it was a chance to make a big statement and all the energy from that like end game press conference was very frustrated and very much we did not execute what we wanted to execute and then to see that again in the first half like pick up exactly where they left off in that eagles game and be like what is our problem like seem like it seems to be more fundamental than than just we can't run the ball and then yeah. as soon as the second half starts you start running the ball consistently and then you're like oh okay but then it like does it stem from having that bad first half where they were so pass happy that the cardinals defense kind of like you know adjusted to that in a way that the run lanes were open more i don't know maybe it was more just the offensive line being yeah. ready for that moment it, it it's tough I think it was, exactly. I, I think it was, it was, a, I think them just being vocal. I think it was some of the new faces, right? Like, cause Kevin Dotson came out and said, it's the best because we as offensive linemen are getting tired, but do it again because we know that it benefits the whole team. If we can run it, I believe that that should be our first option before we start passing, really test the run just to see how they deal with it. I think that's a really simplified quote on a player that you just brought in like 10 weeks ago that's going to earn the starting job over Joe Nopum for the remainder of the season because he's vocalizing that he wants to consistently win in the run game. And it's a shared opinion across the entire offensive line because, as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, that's why they brought in this type of heavier personnel. They wanted to move away from the outside zone run. They wanted to focus in on duo. And with that, it comes with heavier, stronger personnel up front. And I, I think that they put themselves in a really, really favorable situation to be able to replicate this week over week if they commit themselves to it. I think Tyler Higby even mentioning that he wants the Rams' identity to be focused more on being dominant up front because you get beat week over week over week against San Francisco and some of these teams. Like you got Cleveland coming up and you got the, the Dallas Cowboys coming up. Like you have to instill physicality. You have to be the aggressor and to be a physical inline tight end like Tyler Higby who's asking for contact. That's why you get the contract. That's why you're much more appreciated than people give you credit for. Um, internally, he's one of the everybody's favorite player, right? Like, because he sticks his nose in everybody's business and wants to create a run lane for a guy like Kyron Williams, for a guy like Puka Nakua or Cooper Cup or whomever it may be. I just give a lot of credit to those type of players that step up and then it, it becomes known after the game. And I'm just happy with um, like Steve Avila and Kevin Dotson didn't have to be two players that Les Snead brought in this season, but they prioritized interior offensive line, protecting Matthew Stafford and leaning heavily on this scheme. And when you see it come to fruition, it's friggin' beautiful. I think that's all we, we want to see. It's like this team can be as good as they want to be. Maybe not Super Bowl aspirations, but definitely playoff aspirations. If they just commit themselves to the, the foundations that they built this off season. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, look around the NFC. It's like, yes, we're better than the Falcons. Like, yes, we're better than the Saints. Yeah. Like, yes, we're better than the Bucks. Um, I'm just going through that entire division. But still, I mean, like, it's – if there are seven seeds, I think the Rams absolutely deserve to try to get in there and spoil whoever the second seed is, you know, potentially the yeah. Eagles, potentially um, – Potentially the Lions, hopefully not them. Though. Who knows? Hopefully. Maybe the Lions, I said to Dad yesterday, maybe the Lions get the number one seed. 
I, I've been saying that all year. And last week he was like, no, 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 no. I know. But then he was like, wait, do they only have one loss? Oh, now it's possible because the Niners and the Eagles both lost. Yeah. But it's two AFC teams. So, uh, But the Rams, they currently have the seventh seed behind Dallas, who they're going to see in two weeks after Pittsburgh. Back-to-back weeks of Pittsburgh and Dallas. Give me a freaking break. Um, but I, don't nine, I, I don't trust Pittsburgh at all. But Yeah, I know, but it's a tough – like you said. It's a bad matchup. Yeah, it's undefeated. a bad matchup. It's weird spread. It's going to be three points, three and a half points. It's weird. But nine-win yeah, teams have gotten the job done over the past two seasons with 17-game seasons. Like yeah. the Rams play 500 football. Maybe they're a little bit better than 500 throughout the remainder of this season. And we're going to get exactly what we expected before the season started, which is a nine and eight team, hopefully a 10 and seven team that cracks the final spot, the sixth spot potentially of the playoffs. Of the Listen, if the NFL is scripted at all, I mean, second seed Lions, the Rams, Matthew Stafford going into Detroit, a Jared <laughs> Goff revenge game against his former team. I mean, like that is a plus television right there. <laughs> Speaking of spreads, I had set that at three points in favor of the Lions because that might be a trap game for them too. Uh, that spread would be like Lions minus like six. Uh, still scary. So the other uh, aspect of of this um, of this game talk about the injuries. Yeah, I wanted to talk yeah. about the injuries real quick because yeah. Ian Rappaport just came out on on X a couple of minutes ago and said the Rams run the risk of being down two running backs. Right now, it's running back Kyron Williams, who rushed for 158 yards yesterday, suffered an ankle injury. He left with a boot and is getting an MRI today. So MRI will reveal hopefully no structural damage, and he will be okay to remain the season healthy. And then backup Ronnie Rivers is believed to have a PCL sprain that could keep him out a few weeks with an MRI coming. So both running backs that got the lion's share of the carries yesterday, both getting MRIs today, not a good situation. You saw Zach Evans in the game late. Royce Freeman, obviously a veteran that they called up and has been active on game day through a couple of weeks. Do you just lean on hope, be hopeful that Kyron stays healthy, Nick, and then you lean on Zach Evans and Royce Freeman to get you through the rest of the season? It looks like Kyron went down and was going to be out, but then finished the game. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like he's probably fine, but, I mean, I still would like to bring somebody outside. Like, just – Give Daryl Henderson a call. Honestly, there's no reason not to at this point. I feel like a couple. Yeah, well, you're, you're not wrong. A couple of things. Um, I think that the Rams, if they can, they opened up 6.1 million in cap space as it stands. So in 2023, this season, they have 6.1 million in cap space. So that's obviously after the the Higby uh, contract extension. It's after losing Van Jefferson, after losing Cam Akers, but. It um, it hurts that the Rams are tied up in salary with Brian Allen and Joe Noboom over fifty million dollars over three consecutive seasons. So to me, like they already are are upwards of the top of the list in the whole the whole league in terms of dead money. So you can't even move off of those two contracts to create more salary cap. That'll be have to be something that they do next year. Those guys are going to ride the bench and just eat money. So my point is. Next year, perhaps it's the year to make a move for a running back because you're going to have that expendable amount of salary cap to be able to spend on it. But also, like this year, if you're going to deal with injury, you have money to be able to bring in a veteran. So Henderson's not going to cost you anything. I agree that next year they will be looking for like a top-tier running back to add to the arsenal. But this year, right now, I I don't see anything wrong with bringing in a – you know 
like a Zeke Elliott type, and I know not Zeke, and I know he's on Patriots, but just like somebody that's you know, like a prime, but time. still has some some miles left. You know, that's what they. I guess that's what they feel like. Royce Freeman is. Yeah, and I don't. I don't, I don't even know if next year, Nick. I don't even know if next year is the year to bring it because I love Kyron Williams. I think Kyron's great. Like, uh, like I wanted to see a compliment because his ability as a pass catcher, and that has been a little bit disguised over the past couple of weeks. They have not targeted him in the past game. Um, but, you know, there, there's the injury history from last year, and now he's getting MRI on his ankle. Perhaps it makes sense to bring more talent into the building. So I I'm think not willing to know. Yeah, I think it makes it makes all of the sense in the world right now, especially with, like, just two injuries. It's it it's a house of cards. It's a glass, it's a glass house. If you throw stones, if you pull a card, you're not going to like what you see in the, you know, what's going to fill that next slot. So in a game like a game like Pittsburgh at home, which is going to be filled with Steelers fans, it's the most expensive ticket um, being sold right now for the Rams this year. So it's going to be a lot of Steelers fans. So you're going to have to be able to respond and make big plays because you're going to be on silent count. It's what Stafford has said he prefers not to be, but it's something that they've dealt with over the past three years. Uh, it, I did hear from fans that were at SoFi yesterday that it was packed to the brim with Rams fans. By the way, Rams fans, if you ever see a 49ers fan at a Rams-Cardinals game or a Rams-Seahawks game, tell them that their team doesn't play in that stadium that day. Make sure to rub it into them and remind them that they do not belong in the stadium. There's no reason they should be wearing San Francisco 49ers jerseys in a Rams-Cardinals game. Makes no effing sense. Yeah, so it doesn't. It's just dumb. make sure to pack Pack it all with Rams fans as much as you can. We just dealt with this with the Philadelphia Eagles. It's an incredibly strong traveling fan base, but at least they don't have a S-T-E-E-L-E-R-S chant that you have to hear every three freaking minutes. No, um, I think it's just the towel. The towel. Which is also yellow. Which is maybe yellow. Maybe the Rams will give out a yellow towel. <laughs> or maybe they give out a blue towel. Or maybe, yeah, you know what? Here's an idea, Kevin Demoff. Maybe a, give out a yellow towel that's considered a not-so-terrible towel and mix it all in with the other yellow terrible towels, and you'll have no idea which is which. Yeah, then Steelers fans will be shaking their yellow towels. Or you do it blue, and then you create a blue and yellow environment in the stadium, which I would love. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the correct call. You go blue towel. Yeah. Hire me for fan engagement. I'm open to the job. Uh, what else we got, Nick? Is that it for this week? For this episode? It's a win, baby. It's a win. Check out Bruce Thank Hall. Thank Get God. some grace. Get some free fries on us. Yeah, reminder on Bruce Hall. If you guys want to stop by this week, just walk in, say Rams Brothers sent us, and you get free fries with your burger, your shake, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah whatever you want. They have boozy yeah. milkshakes in the Hermosa location. Yeah, love that. I'm down for one of them right now. Finish up a podcast episode, bougie milkshake. That's not, you know what? I'd rather go for an IPA. That's forget the, forget the milkshake. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you. Rams, hopefully, continue on this winning track. No tanking. No tanking. Peace. Go yeah. Rams. Take care, guys. Like and subscribe. Appreciate you. Rams house. <laughs>